Friends, would you open with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to read just one verse from the paragraph that we studied last week. We're just going to hone in on this middle section, and I'm going to read from Ephesians 4 verse 12. Hear now God's word. To equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, it's fun and intimidating to preach on preaching and teaching, to preach about the fact that we've come to be trained to do the job that you've given us. And so I pray that you would do exactly that with your word this morning. That we as saints who have a job to do would receive the training that we need to turn from here and do the work of ministry which is building up the body of Christ. Equip us, sharpen us, perfect us, fill us, mend us, send us out from this time we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you guys will remember that last week when we looked at this entire paragraph, we said that there are basically four movements, four kind of steps, four moves that get us from what Jesus accomplished on Easter when he came and he died and he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven all the way to this eternal vision of the church where this whole thing is headed. We said that the passage just lays out these four moves. Christ, when he ascends, he gifts teachers, number one. Number two, the teachers, they turn around and equip the saints. Number three, the saints then, us, you and I, we turn around and do ministry so that for Christ's body is built. That's how we move. That's Christ's plan, his strategy to get from Easter to the eternal vision of the church. Give the church teachers. Teachers equip the saints. Saints do the ministry. We build up the body of Christ. And then Christ accomplishes what he came to do. Well, this morning, we're just going to focus on those middle two, teachers equip saints, saints do ministry. But I want to reframe them by simply asking the two questions, which are our two points, why the church needs you and why you need the church. Why does the church need you and why do you, in turn, need the church? So let's start with that very first question. Why Does the church need you? Does the church need you? And if she does, why could she possibly need somebody like you? You might be asking yourself. Well, this verse makes clear that every single one of us has a mission. We have a job to do. It's right here. This is our job description. Building up the body of Christ. That's a beautiful, simple way to say a very abstract idea. So I want you right now to picture every person that God has placed in your life. Whether they're in your biological family or in your neighborhood or your workplace or they're in your life group or they're around you in this church. Think of the people that God has placed in your life and put them on a continuum of their growth towards God. So is this person an unbeliever? 
Have they not yet trusted in Christ? Then they're over here. They're not near Christ. They're not enjoying Christ. They're over here on this continuum. If this person is a brand new believer, then they have just been born again and we're waiting to see them grow in the Lord. If they're a seasoned saint, they're further along in this continuum and they're getting nearer to the glory and Christ-likeness of God. Every single person in our life, if we could do this neatly, which we can't, would fit somewhere on this continuum. They don't know Christ. They, they just know Christ. They're growing because the goal for every person in our life is that they will know and enjoy Jesus forever. Our marching orders, our job description, is by the gifts God's given us, the spirit within us, to move each person one step closer to God. Wherever they are, wherever God has placed us in interaction with them, to move them one step further into the experience of knowing and worshiping God forever. The Bible sometimes calls this in shorthand evangelism and discipleship. At CPC, we call it disciple-making disciples to make it memorable. But any way you slice it, that's the job of every single person in this room, to move each other one step closer to God. Who does that work is the point of this verse. Because there are some who will say that that kind of ministry work is best left to the professionals, right? When it comes to evangelism and discipleship, that's, that's for pastors who have done seminary and they know what they're talking about. Or, or that ministry can be delegated to paid staff. We pay them to do that so they can do that work and carry that on for us. Or some of us think that's really for seasoned and mature saints because they look like they know what they're talking about. And so I trust that when we're talking about this verse, it means those in this room who have experience with evangelism and discipleship, they're the ones who do that work in our church midst. Because... A number of us are thinking to ourselves, when you say everybody gets involved in this, surely, surely you don't mean me. I mean, I know what you're saying, like the proverbial everybody, but you don't actually mean me. I mean, if you knew me, and you knew where I was coming from, and you knew the baggage that I carry in my Christian life, or you knew the sins that I struggled with, or, or you knew how new all of this really is to me, or how little I know, or how little experience I have, or how badly I've botched ministry in the past, if you knew how I've been burned by the church, or if you knew how I've burned the church, or if you knew how paltry my spiritual gifts are, or if you knew about the season in my life where I have very little time or money to offer the church, surely if you knew me and you got to know me, you would understand you don't mean me. I mean, you mean the proverbial you, but you don't mean me specifically to actually step out of here and do evangelism and discipleship. Funny thing is, probably a third of us, half of us, three quarters of us, are thinking that exact same thing. Like, I'm looking around and looking at some gifted people, but we're not talking about myself. And Jesus, in this verse, looks across the apprentice boardroom table 
And he says, that looks like a perfect place to display my glory. You're hired. I I want you. That's exactly the cell I wanted to hear. You're it. You're going to be the person that carries the load of evangelism and discipleship in this church. He's saying that to every single person in this room. I heard a pastor once say that when he planted a church in Maryland, he kind of envisioned himself gathering like the elite believers. Like this was going to be just a church for people who took this seriously. This was going to be like the green berets of the Christian community, people who brought real gifts to the table and could carry some real ministry weight. And he couldn't wait to see how this church was going to thrive and grow with the best and the brightest of the church. But you know what happened. You open the doors on Sunday morning, and actual real people show up. I mean, real people, like you people, like me people. We show up, and we bring our sins, and we bring our baggage, and all of a sudden he realized that they aren't the elite that he was preparing for, and then the more time he spent with them, the more he realized he wasn't the elite that he thought of, and all of a sudden God got to work in their midst with the actual people that were there and not the people that he imagined would be there. The audience, those who are getting this job description, they're right here in verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Saint is that affectionate, supernatural title for a sinner saved by grace. It's everybody. It's everybody in the church. Chapter 1, verse 2, this letter is written to the saints who are in Ephesus, as in not to the green berets that are in Ephesus, but every believer who has been born again in Ephesus, and it is read and enacted by the saints today here in Columbia. If you are a saint, that is, if you have repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus alone for your salvation, and you have been clothed in the spotless righteousness of Christ, then this verse applies to you. This is your job description. The church, you don't have another. The church absolutely needs you. We can't build up the body of Christ without you. We need your help. We need your participation. God delights to work in groups. I just read in Proverbs this morning that we can't make plans without many advisors. We read in the New Testament that the church can't be led without a plurality of elders. You can't even make a charge against another believer without at least two or three witnesses. And you can't build up the body of Christ without each member using their spiritual gifts to do this together. At our church, this one small local expression of the body of Christ, we have fleshed out what it means to build up the body of Christ. That way, we know as members, are we really doing this? This is an abstract thing. Am I moving people on this continuum? It's hard to get a a handle on that. And so we've put flesh on that and we have an actual description for what we mean here. And so as you rehearse this this morning, which are your membership vows, think about, am I participating in this? 
Am I a disciple-making disciple in this church? We think about discipleship as worship, community, and outreach. When we do it together as the church, it looks very distinct in our midst because we're a local expression, and we desire every member to be involved in worship, community, and outreach. Let me just talk through each of those very briefly and, and as I say these things, let the Lord kind of wrestle with you in your heart to say, are these things that, that I'm doing in this midst, and am I doing these things for the sake of the broader body of Christ? So number one, worship. We think about coming and participating in Sunday worship. That is a disciple making disciple in our midst. When we come and we participate. Now, slipping into church at 9.20 or 10.45 at the back door and leaving the moment that the benediction is said is not at all remotely what the Bible has in mind. We're trying to do here on Sunday morning what the Bible is telling us to do, like singing hymns and spiritual songs of Ephesians 5, like the teaching ministry of Ephesians 4, like the exhorting each other in regular meetings together, Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 10. When we say the word participate, we mean create rather than just consume. Create rather than just consume. If we're here just to consume, like I just show up on Sunday morning because other people have prepared something for me and I'm here to get that thing uh, and then I'm going to go home with that thing. That's somebody here who's here just to consume and that's not what we're doing here. Every member has a role to create even on Sunday morning. One of the simplest ways to participate on Sunday is to find a job to do. Everybody shares the workload on Sunday morning. Everybody shares the ministry, whether that's serving food or that's the welcome table or the kids' ministry or the worship team. Somewhere I find a job to do, and I find myself doing that job, rubbing shoulders, getting to know fellow believers who are in those spheres. Participating on Sunday morning, coming to create and not just consume, also means I I pray for the service. It's not a given that something supernatural is going to happen here on Sunday morning. I'm not going to take that for granted. I'm going to pray for my heart, my family, and my church family as we come together. I'm going to prepare when I come. I'm going to talk to my spouse and my roommate and my kids about what we're coming to do. I'm going to show up looking to greet somebody I don't know. And I am not going to to commit the cardinal sin on Sunday morning of assuming that because somebody else looks like they're put together, they actually are put together, spiritually or physically or otherwise. That is the cardinal sin in our midst. Sit down next to somebody, greet them. They said they had a great weekend. You said you had a great weekend. Awesome. I assume that they're a born-again believer and that Christ is filling them and I'm going about my merry way. I cannot tell you how many non-Christians, praise God, I meet here on Sunday morning that I would never know that they were unless we had a little bit of a conversation about who you are and where you're coming from and what brought you here and, and what this means to you to be here. Praise God, he brings folks in our midst. We, we can't do that 
fan out and do that on Sunday morning without every member doing that. Like we've tried in the church office to come up with a half a dozen assimilation plans. Like how do you welcome somebody in the door so that they will trust you with their soul to be made a disciple? And we got, we got plans, we got ideas, nothing can replace members fanning out, greeting people, interacting with each other, and showing this is a place you can trust with your very soul. Every member comes and participates on Sunday morning. If you ask me, you pull me aside after the service and say, David, will you disciple me? I want to grow in my spiritual life. Will you disciple me? I'd say, I'd love to. First, do you come and participate on Sunday morning? The second thing I'll ask you about is coming and participating in community. Every member's here and participating Sunday. Every member is participating in community, which right now we do as our small group ministry, which we call life groups. Now, I think it's always important whenever we're beating the drum for life groups to remind ourselves that life groups are not an end in and of themselves, right? The Bible never says, thou shalt attend thy small group, life group ministry within the church. That's not a biblical mandate. What we realize is that if everybody in the church spontaneously, of their own accord, showed up, practiced regular hospitality with each other, had deep spiritual conversations one with another, prayed together, didn't leave any other person behind, but that we all did this as a community together, we would do away with life groups. We don't need them anymore because we're, we're fulfilling what the Bible is talking about in this community of iron sharpening iron. But you and I realize that's really, really hard to do spontaneously and completely organically. It would sure help if you told me where I could show up, when I could show up, so that I can actually do this at the same time that other people are doing this. That's what we do on Sunday morning. That's what we also do in our small group ministry. We are here here in small groups to fulfill the interpersonal commands of Ephesians 4 through 6. And so every member comes and participates in their life group. If your first thought about life group is, I didn't like my life group. It it wasn't my style. I, I just don't get fed in that kind of context. I've actually already found my own group of people who look like me and talk like me and they already think like me and I prefer to spend time with them. I, I want you to hang on just a minute because right now we're not talking about what you need and what's going to advance your spiritual life. We're talking about why the church needs you. Not everybody has that. We're talking about why we need your help to do the work of ministry together, and the life group is first and foremost, where am I going to serve and to put the needs of another person before myself? Your job is to build up the body of Christ, and a life group is a natural way to narrow the focus of your ministry. You're not now responsible for all 300 people who show up here on Sunday morning. You are now responsible for the 4, 5, 8, 12 people that show up at your life group. If you leave a life group meeting and say, Man, I didn't get anything out of that life group. You have 
utterly missed the point of the life group and the New Testament commands on community. But if you come to a life group and you leave and you say, man, somebody shared something and I see a world of pain behind that. And I got to follow up with that. Man, somebody shared something and, and they took a risk and they were vulnerable about a joy or something that they're grateful for. I got to follow up about that. That is precisely what we're talking about. That is doing Ephesians 4.12, building up the body of Christ. Praise God for you as God does this in you. Number three, we come and we participate in outreach. This is always the most intimidating of the list. We can't be disciple-making disciples if we don't start with people who are not believers. Building up the body of Christ, it doesn't start with the people who are here. It starts with the people who are yet to be here. People who don't know Jesus. People who wouldn't come to this place and participate in Sunday morning. Every one of us should be asking with Paul in chapter 6 verse 19, Would you pray for me, this is what Paul says, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Would you pray that God would make me brave? I don't feel brave, the Apostle Paul is saying. Would you pray that God would make me brave? Because every one of us is finding our niche, our corner, our giftedness to do the work of of evangelism. We're not waiting for someone else to do that. God has uniquely placed you in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your hobbies, with your interests, with your life experiences, with what you have suffered. He has designed all of that for the sake of building up the body of Christ, starting with those who don't know Jesus. Will you begin in this? I love watching believers do this. I love watching many of you find your avenue to share the gospel where you are. If you're doing that, if you're building relationships with neighbors, praise God, you are fulfilling this third piece of membership. Don't come asking for another ministry on top of that unless you have time for that. That is the work that God has called you to. Praise God for that. If you don't have that, if you find yourself kind of looking around and saying, I just don't know unbelievers, and I don't rub shoulders with them, and I wouldn't even know what to do with that if I did, then we have avenues of ministry for you to participate in. In fact, one of the best is through our diaconate. Our deacons have several ministries that they can train you for and plug you into that they would love for you to participate in, and I'm going to tell you how you can connect with them to find a way to come and participate in outreach. This is not for the elite. This is for everybody. If you came and said, can I be discipled? I would say, absolutely, let's start with this. Worship, community, outreach. I don't want to take you out of those things and meet with you weekly and read a book together if we're not first doing this together in the body of Christ, fulfilling your mission to build up the body of Christ. Now, all of this can sound pretty overwhelming. We just heard three different responsibilities that we now have. But let's just make this really practical. We're only right now talking about two things a week, right? Like every single week, I'm here to participate in worship. Most of our life groups only meet every other week. Maybe yours meets every week, but most of them meet every other week, which means every 
First and third week, I'm at my life group. And then in the alternate weeks, I'm participating in outreach in some way. I'm having a neighbor over. I'm going with the deacons to participate in something. So I'm only actually having two responsibilities with the church to build up the body of Christ every single week. That, that's what I prioritize. That's what I make room in my calendar to do. If God is moving in you to at least learn more about this, the best way to do that, there's two avenues. Number one is to fill out the little sheet at the welcome table, which says an area to participate on Sunday morning, how to get involved in a life group, who to connect when you're ready to do outreach. All of that is out there. Fill that out. Turn that in. We'll be in touch with you. The other way to do this is my phone number is at the bottom of the bulletin. You can take that and text me and call me, and I would love to sit with you and unpack what it looks like to take the next step to do the job that God is calling you to do because we need you. We can't do this without you. Let me just talk for five or six more minutes about this. My great fear is that some of us are going to walk away from this morning and think, that was a really odd sermon. <laughs> like, that, that just sounded like an advertisement for the ministries of CPC. They must really be hurting for nursery workers <laughs> if they dedicated a whole Sunday just to talk about coming and participating with this. But I hope you hear this. I hope you hear This is the best way we know how to put hands and feet on Ephesians 4.12. This is our job description. This is what we need to be doing. If we don't talk about how to do it, we're going to be left to our own devices. This is the best way we know how to take a very abstract idea, like in general building up the body of Christ, and get very practical to lean on every member to do this great work in our midst. The church needs you. We can't do this without you. Let's talk very briefly about why you need the church in closing. This is why the church needs you. This is where the church needs you. This is who the church is asking to help every member in these three areas. Why do you need the church? Very briefly, these expectations are going to put most of us out of our comfort zone. I I, I don't feel ready to do any of these things. I'm not good at these ministries. I don't feel ready to do this. It's intimidating to show up with a bunch of other people. I don't pray well in front of others. I've never shared the gospel before. I don't know how to do this. We just don't feel equipped to do what we're talking about. Christian, I'm so glad you said that. Nobody comes already equipped to do these things. I would be worried about you if you said you were fully equipped to do all of these things. Verse 12, Jesus gives the church teachers, why? To equip the saints. You are not fully equipped. You are not ready. You can't do this with what you have at your disposal This is a lifelong learning and equipping project. That Greek word for equip, it can mean a bunch of different things. It can mean to fix or to fill or to perfect. It's all over the New Testament. It's used in the Gospels for the um, disciples mending their nets. They equipped their nets. It can mean to fill as in 
pouring into the rest of a vessel to fill it all the way up. It can mean to perfect, bringing something that's incomplete to perfection. Whichever nuance of that word you choose, the meaning is the same. Whatever it is that we're after, you and I are not. Whatever fullness or completely mended or perfected is, you and I right now sitting where we are, no matter where we are in our Christian life, we're not it, we're not that, we're not full, we're not perfected, we're not mended. Remember that verse 2 of this chapter said that this entire project of the church is going to first and foremost be a project of humility. And this is one of those places we're going to need it. It's going to force each one of us to recognize that we need the church. I'm not ready to do this. God is telling me to do this. He expects me to get out Sunday afternoon and start doing this. I don't feel equipped to do this. I need the church as a venue to do this and as a place that's going to train me to do what God is calling me to do. So it's going to change our perception of our own giftedness and what we need it's also going to change the way we approach teaching in all its forms. Like, what do I come to do when I come to hear teaching? Whether we're hearing the Bible be taught from a a parent or a teacher or a preacher or a friend or a life group leader or a mentor or someone who's discipling us, what am I coming to do when I hear teaching? We now have a very distinct expectation of that teaching we are here to be equipped and we will not settle for anything less than that i'm not here to be entertained i have come here this morning to be trained i need tools i need weapons i need ideas i need creativity i need inspiration i need the spirit's power to do what God is calling me to do. If I'm going to do my job description in the church, somebody is going to have to train me in what I need to do this. I think a perfect illustration for this, the difference between teaching just to entertain or teaching just to inform versus teaching according to Ephesians 4.12 that trains us and gets us ready for something, I think the perfect illustration is if you think about the difference of teaching between a middle school class on math and a middle school class on anatomy that's going to highlight the birds and the bees. Think about that for a moment, walking into those two classrooms in a middle school. You walk into the middle school math class and kids are just slouched in their chairs Their heads are rolled back. You're talking about algebra. They're saying, man, I don't need this. My iPhone has a calculator. I'm never going to use math in life. I don't need this. Well, you walk two doors down to that anatomy class, and all of a sudden, everybody's sitting up tall. All eyes are forward. Kids are asking for double worksheets that they can take home and study. They're thinking, I'm going to use this, or I hope that I'm going to use this material. This is news that I can use. That is our expectation for teaching in the church. I got a job. I got something to do. I got expectations on me. I need to get trained to do it. I need something I can use. 
So if you're here to wax eloquent and entertain, if you're here merely to inform me about obscurities, I can't use this. I got an iPhone. I can get Wikipedia. I don't need this. If you're equipping me to do something, then I'm ready. I'm going to take that and I'm going to put it into use and I'm going to do the ministry that God is calling me to do. What I hope the teaching ministry of the local church and a middle school anatomy class have in common is that both of them are going to equip us for healthy, reproducing bodies. Let's pray together. Father, would you do this in our midst? We're here to be trained. We've heard things today that we can immediately turn around and put into practice. And I beg you by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would do just that. Make this news we can use. Let us fulfill our ministry to build up the body of Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.